Well, hello and welcome to another episode of The Optimistic Advocate. I'm your host, Scott Bryant Comstock, and today it's just me. Yep, just me. Just me today, and I want to share some thoughts that I have about what a white progressive male uh, needs to do in response to the horrific murder of George Floyd. And it's not just the murder of George Floyd. Obviously, that was the catalyst for all that's going on in the world today. It was an important wake-up call, and we've had a lot of wake-up calls for how we as a nation need to address head-on the issue of racial injustice uh, in this country. I'm a white male, and I'm a white male who considers himself a progressive Now, what does that mean? I titled this podcast, Three Reasons Why Progressive White Males Don't Speak Out About Racial Justice. And one really big reason why not only they should, but that they must. So I'm going to give you three reasons why progressive white males like me, and I'll use my experience, don't speak out about racial justice. And one big reason why we must. Okay. All right. Pretty straightforward. All right. Well, let's get started. So first, a little bit about me, my whole life. If you put me in a room and I'm with my African-American buddies and colleagues, I got a leg up, whether I like it or not, whether I'm aware of it or not. But here's a little tip. We are aware of it. We're absolutely aware of it. You just feel it. It's in your bones. You just know that push comes to shove. You've probably got an out. You've probably got a way to get to the next step. Whereas my African-American friends got to work a little harder. And, And since we're talking about my truth, let's just accept this is my world you're entering for the next 30 minutes or so. So my truth, my truth, if you're a man or a woman of color and you're friends with me, and we're in a situation in a public restaurant and this and that and the other, I'm going to get treated better than you are. I just am. Just am. It's the way the world works. Which is why I need to be doing something a little more forcefully than I have in the past about speaking out about that. Because that's not right. No, it's not right. Of course it's not right. But it is. It is what happens. But... You know, I got a great progressive white guy resume. I mean, it goes back to when I was a little kid. You know, it's the uh, church we went to when I was a kid. It was Lakeshore Avenue Baptist Church in Oakland, California. At the time, this is in the 60s, it was uh, a mixed church of white and black. Huey Newton, who was head of the Black Panther Party, his girlfriend sang in the choir at Lakeshore Avenue Baptist Church. And I remember as a little kid, seeing her in the choir with a big free Huey button on her thing. He had been arrested and was in jail, and there was a lot of frantic friction around that, around the Black Panthers. There was a lot of friction in the Bay Area, just regardless. I mean, we had the Patty Hearst episode. We had the SLA. We had the Black Panther Party. We had had a lot of different activist events going on. No matter what side you found yourself, regarding 
uh, these events. There was a lot happening. But anyway, so I go to this uh, mixed church, right? And I give credit to my mom. She very much instilled in us as kids that we were no different than anybody else. We would go to Glide Memorial Church every, uh, every couple months we'd go and listen to Cecil Williams, who was the pastor there, very much a social justice advocate, incredible guy. It was real important for my mom, especially for me and my brother. I have one brother, one sister, but especially for the boys that we understand that we're no different from anybody else. That's great. The only problem is we do understand that we're different from everybody, uh, from other people who don't look like us. How do we understand this? Because of the way we're treated, right? Uh, it just is. I remember as a kid, we had a potluck, as churches will often do. It rotates amongst the houses. It was at our house. And I remember a neighbor saying, I was out, it was before the potluck started, I was out playing with one of the kids in the neighborhood. And as people started to arrive, his mom, standing in the driveway, said, here comes the black clouds. And I, you know, as a kid, I didn't know what that meant. I knew it wasn't a positive affirmation. And it just had this weird, funny feeling. It was like, well, what? wait, what does that mean? Here come the black clouds because it was the tone, the way she talked. And I've never forgotten that. It was like a little bellwether, you know, that just kind of goes off in your head that these people come, they look different, they're different, they're lesser than. It's a horrible thing. And as a kid, I couldn't articulate all of that. I just knew it meant something. And then, you know, growing up, you see so many examples of, different kinds of injustices and, uh, and being a progressive white guy, you know, I have uh, made a lifetime's work of trying to stem that tide. Okay. Sounds pretty good. My whole life, I have seen myself as this progressive guy. In fact, so progressive that about 15 years ago now, maybe 20 years ago, putting on national conferences for a family advocacy organization. And me and the executive director used to sit around and talk about who can we get to speak to our national group that can bring in voices of color. The group was called the Federation of Families for Children's Mental Health. And at the time, they were serving predominantly African-American constituency. Yet the executive director was white. I was white. And we were like the, the figureheads, if you will, for the conference. I ran the conference. Barbara Huff was the name of the executive director, incredible woman. And, and it was really important to her that we practice what we preach. If we were going to talk about improving uh, the lives of uh, families of color, then we needed to bring speakers who could inspire who look like them, came from similar circumstances instead of a white guy, which is often what it was, or a white woman uh, who came from a very different experience. Now, there's nothing wrong with having white speakers. I'm white. I love speaking. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But part of being progressive, which I am, is making sure you take that extra step. Okay, great. So I got great credibility there, right? You know, I've had Maya Angelou come to speak to our conference, Cornel West, 
incredible, incredible advocate. In fact, if, if you get anything out of this podcast, read his book, Race Matters, which for me is kind of biblical text on understanding the schisms in this country. So what a resume, right? Okay, white progressive guy, considers himself a progressive. In five minutes, I just gave you this incredible resume. I said, look what I did when I was a kid. Look at how awake I was as a kid. Look what I did in my career of, of constantly trying to improve the lives of people who are not in the dominant culture. Look at my resume. Look at what I did. I mean, I, I got my, it didn't get any better than having Maya Angelou come and speak to your conference. Or Cornell West, who is just an amazing individual who speaks truth in a way that very few people do. I'm there. I'm the guy, right? I'm the progressive white guy. I go to protests. I got arrested during the Moral Monday uh, marches in North Carolina. That's, that's a lot of street cred right there, isn't it? I'm the guy. I'm the progressive white male. And I represent probably the weakest link in making change in this country. And that's the progressive white male. Now, what do I mean by that? Why are we the weakest link? If anything, you should say, Scott, you're the strongest link. You're out there. You're pushing it. You know, I write a newsletter every week that reaches thousands of people who are interested in improving the services for children's mental health. It's great. That's awesome. So, what else do I need to do? One of the reasons why a progressive white male like me may not be speaking out about racial justice is, I mean, what else is there to say? I mean, you know, I know I could never be as articulate as Cornell West, and I don't even pretend to know the full experience of my African-American brothers and sisters. I don't know. You know, what? so what am I supposed to say? I've, I've done everything. I, I go to the marches. I stand in the protest lines. Heck, I've even gotten arrested. I mean, there's nothing, nothing else I can do. Every day, and this is wonderful, seeing these position statements put out by different organizations. It's very exciting to see. But so, so the first reason why I may not want to talk is that I, there's just nothing else to say. I mean, it's all being said. I'm doing enough with my body of work, right? I'm fine. So there's the first reason. Why not? I just don't have anything else to say. Okay. How about the second one? Well, the second reason I don't want to say anything is that, goodness, I might be misinterpreted speaking for other white people. Or, or, or even worse, thinking that I understand what black people are going through. Jeez, the last thing I want to do is be misinterpreted. So, you know, it's probably just best not to say anything. Again, I've got this great resume. All of my friends would say I am about as progressive a white male as you get. So, you know, not only is there not anything else to say, it's all been said. Geez, I don't, I don't want to be misinterpreted, right? I could say something wrong, right? 
And that leads to the third reason that as a white progressive male, I'm not going to say anything. It's because I might get a negative reaction. If I talk about this, if I talk about what it means to be a white progressive male in the current world we live in, then not only might I get a negative reaction, people might not agree with me, I might lose friends, I guess I don't really worry about that, but that could happen. But if I talk about it, then I may have to take responsibility for the things I talk about. Think about that for a minute. I spent my whole life trying to teach my kids the right thing, trying to do the right thing, but it hasn't been enough. It's 2020. I mean, the world just watched a man have the life taken from him over an eight or nine minute period. And I know that police brutality is a real thing. I know that in so many ways, we have barely moved the needle in terms of racial relations in this country in terms of equity in this country. I know all that. So what else can I do? I'm not going to be as articulate as Cornel West, who I love. So no reason to talk there. I might get misinterpreted. Don't want to do that. And I might start to get some negative reactions if I start speaking out. And more importantly than get negative reactions, if I start publicly speaking out about trying to understand what my role is as a white, progressive male who has more privileges than any other class of people in this country, then I might have to do something about it. And what I might have to do is different from what I've done up to this point as a progressive white male and felt very comfortable about. Well, that sucks. So there's the three reasons why I shouldn't get involved in conversations about race. Now here's the one really big reason why I must get involved in conversations about race publicly, why I must publicly get involved, why I must publicly state a call to action, and why I must publicly follow through. And the one big reason why I must, not I should or not I should think about, but why I must is because nothing's going to change until progressive white males take action in a different way than they have in the past. Now, remember I said this is all about me, right? All about my perspective. This is about what I need to do. It's just me. Just me. This is about what I need to do. And what I need to do 
is very different from what I've been doing for the last 60 years. I need to do some specific things. There's some specific things that I can do. It's so fascinating. I, you know, I have a platform through the Children's Mental Health Network. We have thousands of readers every week. And I send out this newsletter every Friday. And for the last two weeks, I've been including video clips of Maya Angelou speaking, a great Toni Morrison clip where she's being interviewed by Charlie Rose and she's talking about the white veil. These are all enlightened things that I'm, do <laughs> that I'm doing, but it's not enough. And, and our readers are so wonderful and they're so nurturing to me. The way the Children's Mental Health Network works is that it's not a top-down kind of thing. We use the phrase collective voice, meaning that we try to make the network a forum for a lot of different voices to come together. And so it's a flat organizational style. I mean, yes, I kick out all the information out, but readers really drive what happens. And I've heard from a couple different readers. One person wrote in and, and, and said, hey, Scott, you know, I... I was kind of disappointed to not see you take a position. Uh, do you think you could spend some time doing that? Another issue of Friday Update. Again, it wasn't an attack. It was just like, hey, brother, come on. <laughs> Whoa, wake up, wake up. And I responded. I said, you know, you're right. I'm so sad about this that I've just kind of been sitting. And this is the problem, I think, for me as a progressive white male who feels like that over his lifetime he's done enough, right? But I haven't done enough. I mean, would that be my expectation for my African-American colleagues? To say, hey, you've done enough, you can coast. It's all going to work out. But it's not working out. We haven't moved the needle much at all. And anyway, this person wrote back, and it was just a really beautiful line. She said, hi, Scott. She said, yes, sometimes we're all on a learning curve. You know, and just that simple statement. Yeah, we're on a learning curve. And this is part of my learning curve. And especially for you progressive white males who might be listening to this, the only thing I would ask is that you just think about it. Just, just give this some thought. Have you done enough? And if you're like me, your initial answer is, yeah, I've done all the right things. Got arrested in protests, marches. Yeah, I've done enough but I haven't done enough. And if you don't think you've done enough, think about what can you do to be different. So the first thing I can do, and this is big, first thing I can do is listen. Just shut up and listen. I can invite guests on the podcast who can bring perspective that's different from mine bringing in different voices to teach. I need to listen. I need education. Resume of great experiences or no resume. I need to listen. So that's the first thing. The second thing I need to do is I need to ensure that uh, in the newsletter that I send out each week, there needs to be a minimum 
of one focused article that looks at the issues of race, looks at the issues of inequality in our country, looks at how these inequalities are impacting families of color and communities all across America. Now, you know, it's interesting because I could say my progressive self could say, hey, I do that. I, I, you know, there's lots of times I'll have an article in there, but am I doing it intentionally? And the answer is no, I'm not, but I need to be. And that is my commitment to our readers, our listeners, is that with intention, I will start to feature articles on this topic. And that's the key piece with intention. If I can listen, if I can truly listen, if I can follow through on actually identifying examples in our Friday newsletter um, of efforts that are focusing on issues of race as they develop their programs for families and young people, you know, that's a great thing. But it's got to be intentional. Got to be intentional for it to work. Now, here's the challenge. By doing this, by speaking out more publicly, again, just me, myself, but by doing this, I can guarantee that what I say when I talk about these issues won't be near as knowledgeable and eloquent as what somebody like Cornell West says. Remember, that was one of my first reasons for not speaking out. I'm never going to be that eloquent. The other thing I can guarantee is that the possibility is great that in my speaking out, I'll be misinterpreted. I'll be misunderstood. You know what? You're right. That's a possibility. That happens. We see that happening all the time. And I think that really causes people like me to pause and say, eh, yeah, maybe I shouldn't talk about this because I don't want to be misinterpreted. Um, you know what? That's probably going to happen. That's okay because it's more important that I be proactive for myself rather than just sitting back. So uh, I think we can guarantee that there will be people who will not understand what I'm saying, who will, who will maybe express commentary that I have the slightest idea what I'm saying, <laughs> which, hey, I'm right there with you. I am right there with you. Remember, I'm on, I'm on a learning curve. And, you know, the other fear, the, you know, in that original three, that list of uh, reasons why I shouldn't speak out. The, the other, the other real fear is that people will get angry with what I say. They will be dismissive of what I say. They will ask the question, how do I have the right to say what I say? They will unsubscribe from our newsletter. Uh, you know, they will, all of those are things that absolutely could happen and maybe will. Hope not, but I certainly could. But here's the beautiful thing about this whole process. So I've given you all these negative reasons why, oh, keep your mouth shut because 
you can't be as articulate. People aren't going to understand what you say and people aren't going to like you. But here's the flip side of that. And this is why I must be more proactive in my commentary is because that there are going to be people and not, yes, there are going to be people who say, Hey, Scott, I agree with you a hundred percent, but more important, like the readers of Friday update who have written into me and have given me gentle coaching, you know, basically saying, look, you're on a learning curve. It's okay. We'll help you get there, but we need you to be engaged. And I think that's the most positive thing about all of this is that is that I will be contributing to the dialogue, the dialogue about how to move forward. If I sit back in fear and choose not to say anything, then I'm not part of the dialogue. I can't contribute. And just like all of you listening, I have great things to share. You have great things to share, but you have to be part of the dialogue to share those things. And this dialogue is now, fortunately, a global dialogue. So my encouragement to you is that, um, is that you acknowledge that there's a lot of fear surrounding speaking out or speaking your voice or sharing your voice. There's a lot of fear around that. But you have to do it. You have to do it. Now, you don't have to do it through a podcast. You don't have to do it through the written word. You can do it with your neighbor. You can do it with your family. You can do it with your kids. Find a starting place for you. Because our starting places are all different. You know, Maybe your starting place is with your wife or your husband or your significant other. Uh, maybe that's the starting place. But just start. This global dialogue on racial injustice is too important. It's not going away. And the world is better off if you're a part of the dialogue. All right, there you go. Summing it up. Three reasons why this progressive white male shouldn't get involved in the conversation. Well, heck, you know, it's already been said or people will misunderstand me or they won't like me. The one reason this progressive white male must get involved in the conversation is that it's the only way we will move this forward. It's the only way that we will get the racial inequality needle unstuck and moving in the right direction. Okay, that's it for this episode. Consider making an audio file audio recording on your phone, and send it to me. Let me know what you think of this episode, but also let me know what you are planning to do to move the dialogue forward. Love to hear from you. See ya. Leave the lights on and the door unlocked. If you drop on by, you don't have to knock. We're happy to share whatever we've got. 